Welcome to the Two Cities Podcast, a podcast about theology, culture, and discipleship. And this is episode 73. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. And you can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at our website at thetwocities.com. On today's episode, we're discussing Asian American biblical interpretation with Dr. Jeanette Her-Oak, who is Associate Professor of New Testament at Fuller Theological Seminary and the author of the forthcoming monograph in the Library of New Testament Studies called Constructing Ethnic Identity in 1 Peter, Who You Are No Longer. Team members on the episode from the two cities include Jennifer Guo, Grace Sangalang Ng, Dr. Chris Song, and myself, Dr. John Anthony Dunn. So with this episode, we are nearing the end of our series on cultural identity, and we have such a a wonderful guest with some fabulous insights. Really, a lot of what Dr. Oak shared with us today encapsulates so much of the heart behind this series, and it was just such a wonderful time uh, chatting with her. What did you all make of our conversation with Dr. Oak? Yeah, it's, it's so hard to just pick out one or two things from that conversation because The whole thing was so rich. And for me, as an Asian American female evangelical who's getting a PhD in New Testament, I mean, Dr. Oak is such an incredible uh, inspiration and model. And it's so rare, right? Because she is at the intersection of so many, um, so many different facets. And it's it's hard to find people like that. I think people like her are so rare. And I think one thing, yeah, one thing that struck me is what she said about how there needs to be more affirmation and citation of Asian American evangelical women and more of an affirmation in evangelical spaces. And yeah, that's that's so uh, striking because of the fact that it is in evangelical spaces where we feel like there is, it's, it's in those spaces that we feel especially like there is no space for us. And I think she even mentioned that often Asian American female women who are evangelical kind of are like forced out. Um, And so I think that particular insight of affirming, encouraging, inciting Asian American women in those spaces is really important. Yeah, to go along with what Jennifer was saying, I think I really appreciated Dr. Oak's way of um, empowering Asian American women in the church and the need to like cultivate and nurture females in leadership. I think, yeah, as I have mentioned in like some previous podcasts, I didn't have too many examples of that growing up. And something that stood out to me in her story is how she did have that example and how having those models are so important and how she, um, Dr. Oak is, is a model for um, so many of us as Asian American women. So yeah, I really appreciate just who she is and the things that she talked about and uh, just all the unique contributions that she brings to biblical scholarship. For me, I I feel that Jeanette, her voice is a real important one, Um, not just as sort of a niche off-center voice coming from um, an Asian American or feminist or, or whatever, however you want to characterize that um, as sort of, um, this 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 side voice, but as a very important voice to the entire conversation of 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 what we talk about when we talk about church, when we talk about biblical interpretation, 
um, when we talk about the American church and in, in all of its complexity, um, she sits on, on, on this really important intersection. And so um, some of the things that she's, uh, sh that she's addressing um, in this podcast, I think really reflect um, a, a real need of what has been missing in this conversation for far too long. And so I'm really, really excited about some of, some of the points that she's pressing and challenging. And, and I think one of the things that was really crucial for me that emerged um, out of our conversation is this uh, attentiveness to the churches themselves, you know, and therefore really paying attention to what the Spirit is doing in the churches. And if we find that the Spirit is moving among um, different churches in America and throughout the world, of course, and, and we find the Spirit is empowering and gifting uh, women of color, it's, it's incumbent upon us as people of the church and as people who try to serve the church um, to really pay attention to that and to really see, to see what the Spirit is doing and let that sort of be itself a normative guide of, of how we approach Scripture and how we talk about the Bible and how we talk about church. And I see Jeanette as uh, one of those really important voices that's doing exactly that. And here's our conversation with Dr. Oak. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Oak. It's a pleasure to be with you all. So how about we begin by hearing a little bit about how you developed your own distinctive Asian American approach to biblical studies? Small question indeed. You know, I think I have to kind of I have to go way back when I think when I look back on how I came into Asian American biblical interpretation and caring about this and wanting to be explicit in my articulation of I'll just shorthand it AABI. It started early. Uh, it started early as a person who grew up in a predominantly white community in Michigan. I was a part of a Korean American church. And I know lots of people have various stories with their if immigrant children, different kinds of experiences in that context. But for me, I loved the Korean American church. I loved my church. And I couldn't articulate exactly why. Nor did I know it was, nor did I think it perfect. But I think when I, when I was a kid, that space was a place of grace for me because every day throughout the week, except when you're home, you, you don't realize how much a, a child has to make all these negotiations and maneuverings to make it through the day to, you could say, bending over backwards to fit in or to or speak the way you're supposed to or to understand what's being asked of you. Not that I wasn't fluent in English. or It wasn't that, but it was these cultural cues that I can't assume I understood. And also my family structure was different. I had my grandparents living with us and my mom was the oldest of eight daughters. And so many of them lived with us over the course of the years in and out. Our home was busy and it had a lot of family members. And um, and I remember distinctively, I just, I loved the smell of church. I loved the soup, um, the pots of simmering that were, that were there, the, the metal bowls, all that being in the basement. The fact that it wasn't just being there for service. We were there like from nine to like, I don't know, early, right before dinner <laughs> all day, you know? And I think that I really found that space to be a place where I could be myself, that I could worship God and 
I could grow in my understanding of who God is, who I am. Again, not with per- hindsight's much clearer, but at the time that was something very precious to me. Another thing that was really, I would say, unique to my experience being in this church in Metro Detroit, of all places in the country, was that this church hired a Korean American, second generation, young EM pastor, a woman. And I think that that has impacted me significantly in my formation. And I think about leadership, I think about pastoral ministry, my even my just my imagery, the embodiment of her, of her preaching, of her ministering the sacraments, of her benedicting and sending us out. The fact that she had literal office space in the church, those things are significant. And my mom being my mom, Chris, Chris is a little, she knows, he knows her, but she, she um, knew this was historic and she would drag my brother and me to service. I was like in fifth, five years old. I was very young, but she wanted us to hear and see. And she didn't know if we would see to hear it again. How often, when, when would we have this chance? And so for me, from a young age, when I imagined what a pastor looked like, um, when I imagined what a preacher looked like, a leader, I could imagine a woman and I could imagine an Korean American woman. And I think that was profound and impactful. And so when I came to California and we moved from Michigan to California, I found that I, the absence of women in the church context I was in, it was still a Korean American church. It bothered me. I didn't, I didn't know why. Well, I did know why. I was like, where I, they were wonderful leaders and, and teachers, but in terms of leadership, not, not, it wasn't affirmed or it wasn't just explicit. And that I just found that to be lacking. I felt that to be the case. Also, I was really interested in the Holy Spirit as a young person. I don't, I, I, I we had creedal affirmations, but I just never, I wanted to understand more. And I, it was just these, those two questions and uh, that brought me to, I think, this interest in studying Bible. But I will admit that my real major, my hardcore st- entry into studying the Bible occurred because I had so much resistance to my sense of des- my desire to become a pastor. And it was usually the Bible that was used to shut down the conversation. I just wanted to converse about it, like the way a kid would talk about wanting to do this when she grows up or that. I noticed from the first time I mentioned it to somebody, that this is a very hot button issue and it was volatile and the reactions varied and I couldn't predict it versus if I said I wanted to be a teacher or a lawyer or even a fire person, like it didn't, that had less of an eyebrow raise or reaction. But every time scripture was used as a reason for why not. And every time it, it did hurt me. Like I felt like so demoralized on the one hand, but on the other hand, like I didn't believe them. I was like, you know, I've seen this, I've seen this in action and it was pretty amazing. And I don't have the justification. I can't bring out the text. I don't have the biblical hermeneutic or the rationale that you can do as a you know, person who went to seminary or studied this or has like a clear opinion about it. But it made me realize like, I need to study the Bible for myself. And so like, you, you know, these texts that are being used, I, I wanted to read them for myself. But what happened was that as I was reading, not, I was coming in to see these texts that are being, you know, cited, you know, against women in leadership. But as I was reading the Bible, especially Acts and First Corinthians, those texts are very formative for my young adult. Like I was in high school this time studying these texts. 
just, you know, on my own, really not knowing what anything, probably, you know, having weird readings, but just me, my morning glory journal <laughs> and a Barnes and Noble um, uh, Bible dictionary, you know, and those what, what all uh, commentaries on the entire Bible that I don't recommend to my students that, you know, you just can't cover it. One person can't cover it all. So, you know, those are my resources. But what happened when I was studying, trying to understand when the Holy Spirit, remember I mentioned that, and women, and I was reading Acts, I was like observing that there's a lot of texts where women are doing things and no one's saying anything about it. Like, it's not a problem that uh, Priscilla, for example, is, is teaching and planting churches alongside Paul. Like, what's up with that? Why is that not talked about? Or, you know, why is the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, why aren't they gender linked? And yet, why is it so, why are certain roles so gendered? And so what I learned early then, what I started to observe then was that a lot of times when, when it came to the way, with the issue of women in the church, it was problem texts or specific texts, instructions that are used to negate or to squelch that idea of women being leaders. But there's so much taken for granted that Paul did have co-workers, for example, and they were women. And they were not only that, but he would out, out them as being prominent as leaders. And those kind of things weren't mentioned. And so I was, unbeknownst to me, kind of developing a hermeneutic of a way to read scripture. And I think what was, was a struggle was not just knowing what was in the Bible, which is its own thing. Seminary professor, you want people to know, to read the Bible, period, but to learn how. And the how part, um, was something that I thought about a lot since I was young, because um, I realized, you know, my, like I said, I, I came in with issues, with questions about women. So I looked for women. Okay. I was curious about the Holy Spirit. So I was like looking for the Holy Spirit. And so if I'm honest, and as we're all honest, we come to the Bible at various stages and ages and times of our life with certain questions. You know, I think that uh, those, the thing that was, um, confusing for me when I went into more formal study in the, of the New Testament was that I kind of was thought I was crazy half the time because the questions I had differed so much from my, my peers. And it was either one, I am totally nuts or two, maybe it's because of something else. I didn't know what that was until I met Dr. Brian Blunt. My, one of my professors at Princeton Theological Seminary, and he taught us how to exegete the text, you know, and, and to be close readers of the text in its historical, um, socio-historical literary context, of course. But he took our context as readers seriously. And the questions that the readers bring is inextricable to how we read and come to the text. And again, this might seem obvious to many people now, but at this time, it, 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 it was the thing that was missing in my understanding of how we read, that we read as people who are embodied and context, we, are, we come from context, and that determines or it shapes the questions we bring. And when we aren't honest about that, when we weren't aware, and it's not because we bring no biases or no preconceived issues that can't be challenged. We, we, of course, they do. But when we're not honest about it, when we assume that doesn't happen, what happens is it pretty much means that we accept white interpretation, Western European interpretation as non-contextualized. And that really made me doubt the validity of my ways of reading and approaching the text. 
Um, and so this is why I went into Asian American biblical interpretation. I didn't go into it as some niche thing that would be high in demand later in my career. I went out of for existential reasons. And it wasn't encouraged in my study area of my, my school. It wasn't like there were classes that encouraged that in my doctoral studies. I had to go to adjacent spaces. And I did it for my own survival, for my own, to, to, to keep my um, interests and my questions and my concerns, give space to that, to explore them, um, to, go, to be open about that and to engage in dialogue with others who are doing similar things. And so while I was a student, on my own dime, I would attend conferences um, outside of the ones, you know, the SBL. But even within the SBL, I gravitated toward a lot of the um, uh, sessions that none of my class, my colleagues went to, my, my, my classmates went to. Um, and I, I didn't care. I needed this. I went to the Asian American biblical um, hermeneutic sessions. I presented there. I chair, I co-chair it now. I was one of the grad students who was part of the initial when you start a group, the minoritized biblical interpretation group. And I would find myself wanting to be among people who weren't trying to impress one another and outsmart one another or just play the game in the guild. It was actually a, the SBL was a place where I felt I can meet and connect with people that I couldn't on a daily basis where I was for my doctoral studies. Also, um, there was groups like Panautum and Apari and ATSI. Um, these are long acronyms. I should have written them down so I could tell you, but these are, they were so important um, for uh, my formation, for work that I wasn't really um, encouraged to do at in my studies, to not um, shut the door on them, but to continue to develop my voice and my reading conversation partners, um, to do the reading, to do the thinking, and even the writing outside of those spaces. And so for me, I can't help but be an, a, a New Testament scholar who is informed by my Asian American experiences and my, my experience as a woman. And I'm, I, I decided rather than just an assume or let it be implicit to be explicit about that. Um, and so that's kind of a shorthand account of my journey there. Thank you so much for sharing with us so richly from, from your journey. Um, you mentioned your doctoral studies, and so I, I think that we would love to hear about your monograph, which is just about to come out, um, Constructing Ethnic Identity in First Peter, Who You Are No Longer with LNTS. Yeah, okay. Let's see. So in that book, and, and thank you for um, mentioning it's coming out in July. In my book, Constructing Ethnic Identity in First Peter, I examine the ways in which First Peter is constructing ethnic identity or Christian identity as an ethnic identity. He's using ethnic language and an early form of ethnic reasoning. And, 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 and I argue that the author is doing this in order to forge uh, a distinctive, cohesive, positive group identity for his addressees who are pretty beleaguered as they endure anti-Christian hostility and subsequent persecution. And so the author is using the vocabulary of shared blood, of peoplehood, um, and human difference as a, in, an, a significant port of entry for defining what it means to be Christian as, and as a means for his addressees to define themselves in contrast to outsiders. And so there's something useful about ethnicity in helping identify what it means or helping to uh, understand what it means to be Christian. And I found this to be super, very interesting about the letter. 
Gentile converts are, I, I, I take the readers to be primarily Gentile, and they're confronted with a unique problem, an opportunity to choose to construct a new way of understanding themselves. The, the author addresses this challenge. So rather than arguing that Jews, Christian, Gentile Christians are neither Jew or Gentile or Jew or Greek, um, or that they are Jews, Peter argues instead that they are no longer Gentiles. The author is appropriating ethnic identity language ascribed to the Jews as a means to express Gentile, how Gentile Christians belong to God. And so this ethnic language is helpful or is possible because ethnic categories, even in the ancient context, are fluid enough for him to adapt um, and reimagine it to serve his purposes. So to help fix or concretize the ways in which um, Gentile Christians are to cohere to one another and adhere to the uh, behavior and values that imitate Christ. And so 1 Peter isn't a text that seeks to do away with ethnic differences among uh, his, its recipients in order to engender unity among follower, followers in Christ, but rather it's through ethnic difference that the author's trying to reinforce Christian identity and internal group solidarity. So that's the book in a nutshell. And it's not explicitly um, offering an Asian American biblical hermeneutic, but there are implications for that. And, you know, you, know, you think about the importance of blood, of shared blood. Uh, I think that that's uh, something that the ancients too, whether, it, you know, purported blood ties are very significant in um, determining whether people belong to each other in certain ways, a certain type of belonging. That's not like a collegium or uh, other forms of belonging. And the blood of Christ and the way the which, in which the author is trying to use the, um, Christ's blood as a means to engender connection, engender a peoplehood with people who prior wouldn't have a relationship to one another is a significant uh, strategy that the author is employing. Hi, Jeanette. This is Chris. Uh, Jeanette mentioned that, uh, that we, we share some history. Jeanette and I go way back. And uh, I, I remember uh, meeting Jeanette before high school. She was like in like a early junior high level. And none of this is surprising where she is now. She was back, even back then, brilliant and full of life. She's just obviously wiser. <laughs> Uh, now and uh, so much of what you've already shared is 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 really perfect for this series because part of what we're exploring in cultural identity is 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 really just trying to unattach ourselves from the idea that Asian American biblical interpretation, for instance, is sort of a hyphenated theology that you know there's black theology and there's Latin American theology and there's Asian American theology as if these are and even you use the word niche. And the assumption there is that there's this sort of, there's this default uh, normal type of theology that uh, maybe, the, maybe this, this ideal white male scholar is sort of the universal donor of, of transmitting theology. And then sort of these niche projects can sort of emerge from that. And um, I think, at least in the academy, but um, I think even more broadly at this point, we're starting to realize how bankrupt that model is and um, just understanding the wisdom of lending more uh, attention to the locatedness of all of our perspectives and um, all of our approaches to the Bible. And so your story just obviously richly highlights that. And that leads us to one of our, our key questions that we wanted to present to you, which is uh, when we talk about 
Asian American biblical interpretation. Uh, you use the acronym AABI. What are your thoughts about what you'd like to see develop from sort of this distinct, distinct mode of, of interpretation? And maybe as a follow-up, I mean, what are the kinds of questions that, that excite you in this space or that you'd like to see developed more? Yeah. So first, you know, AABI emerged out of the awareness that one's social location influences the way a person interprets the Bible. And there was a rising dissatisfaction with historical critical methods that are important, that have a place, but fail to address the cultural and contextual particularities of Asian American um, and Asian diasporic identity. And so I think the basic premise of AABI is that reading and making sense of the Bible is a contextual practice. And, And it dialogically interacts with Asian American identity and Asian American ways of being that lead to different ways of reading. And so I want to say, first of all, like not to skirt around your question, but that AABI is quite diverse in approaches. It's not easy to land on one way and approach. Um, how is it done? Who gets to do it? Does an Asian American biblical scholar engage in it just by virtue of who she is? And does it have to pr- pursue a political or liber- liberationist agenda? Who gets to embody this? What about biracial, uh, multiracial adoptees or transnational, U.S. transnationals or fifth generation uh, Japanese Americans, for example, right, who may not have the mother tongue anymore? And so I think that uh, this will always be a contested identity and also uh, the question of like who or what gets what it is, it's always going to run the risk of being essentialist or exclusionary. And so every time I try to delimit or explain it, there'll always be like resistance. But I've really tried to explain it for myself, but because I think it opens up some exciting possibilities. And so I've been working on like a working definition of it that I've been edit- editing and modifying like month to month. And so I thought I'd share that here for your feedback. And uh, so I'm, I'm I understand Asian American biblical interpretation as explicitly and intentionally approaching the Bible, not only by means of exegesis, but through the lens of Asian American experiences and histories of education, immigration, acculturation, racialization, inclusion, exclusion, multicultural uh, relationality. And these are diverse and often overlapping. And so there's an interpretive framework of Asian heritage of migration experience, American culture, and racialization that's, that's part of this, that generates further conversation um, about the meaning of biblical texts and their impact. And so it's, it's, it, for me, it's very interdisciplinary, and it gauges an interdisciplinary research, uh, theoretical, theological, intersectional approaches to reading the Bible. It's committed to reading with, for, and about those who have been minoritized due to their Asian American identity. And for me, what excites me is that AABI can do the above in response to concrete needs of Asian American churches and in ways that reflect the complexities and pluralities of Asian American Christian identity while reading the Bible as scripture. And so what excites me, not only the kind of questions that can come from this, but even just the fact that there are more emerging spaces for questions to rise, you know, so like, like, I was, like some history. In the SBL, the Society of Biblical Literature, um, the ECBC, Ethnic Chinese Biblical Colloquium, and the um, 
Asian and Asian American hermeneutics groups, they began in the like mid 90s, 1995. And then in 2001, the Korean biblical colloquium um, began. And last year in 2020, the IBR hosted an inaugural, inaugural Asian American biblical interpretation session in 20, 2020. Uh, and so, hey, that's exciting too. Uh, that's led by Max uh, Lee and Milton Ang, but that's creating another space um, to nurture future generations of Asian American biblical scholars who consider themselves evangelical. These groups have provided, for me, I, I can speak for myself and many others, like safe scholarly spaces for the cultivation of, of, of pan ethnic and ethnic group identity and interests. And they've been, they've really built like a professional network um, for collaboration and mentorship, et cetera. But, you know, it's a lot of times you could argue that the work that's generated there and the conversations are not very on the ground. That there are often sometimes we don't want, I don't want my place in the guild or the questions of the guild to necessarily shape the issues that are going on on the ground in the churches. And I think that that distance between the, the, the con congregational and the academic for, for Asian American biblical interpretation, I think that's a wide distance. And that I personally hope to see more, um, much more uh, dialogue and, and written work and, and series that are really thinking about how this speaks to the church. Now, the Asian American church in all of its complexity and diversity but also when we talk about the Asian American church, how it also speaks to the larger church. And so I think it's important. I think the things also that excite me is that we are moving away. Hopefully we need to move away from an East Asian hegemony of it being mostly Korean and American biblical approaches, interpretations, Korean American biblical, um, for example, but that we include the, you know, the diversity um, Asian America, which includes, you know, reflects Southeast Asian, Filipino, uh, South Asian identities and concerns and the church dynamics. And so I hope to see AABI focus less dominantly on East Asian American experiences. I hope that it would be more grounded in relationship to real communities of faith. And that the Bible isn't just interrogated, but it is, it could be still upheld as scripture. And that as scripture, we can still come to the scripture with the questions that we have, knowing that we, I think that the churches can, we're at a unique place. I think there's, there's been a racial reckoning in our country, but also for, among Asian Americans, specifically that actually, you know, uh, we do have something unique to contribute. And it's not only uh, that, that the, what we bring um, we ourselves need to do the work of articulating our histories and what we bring to the text. That itself is an important theological task that we're only beginning to um, explore. And I think the pulpit is a space, the, the Bible studies, um, congregations are a place to actually really think about what, how does, what does it mean to read the scripture as a predominantly Asian American congregation, right? And what does that mean what kind of contribution can we make to the larger discourse of American Christianity? Because honestly, evangelical Christianity, like there, you know, there is a relationship between the Asian American churches and evangelical Christianity. But I think, I think that there is a sense of um, feeling uh, exiled or feeling really not at home in that space. Too often there's an invitation, but one's invisible. 
there's there come, but your social locatedness is, is not, is not addressed and your concerns and issues are just, it's more like represent a visible diversity, but you are reinscribing white evangelical um, thoughts and thinking. And I think, uh, I think that that there's a discontent with playing that role um, that I think is a good space for this kind of grappling this careful work of articulating we are Christians, but we're Asian American Christians. And even within that, there's, there's complexities, but we have to grapple with that. That's important um, and faithful work that isn't just uh, for a certain few. Wow. That's very rich. And thank you so much for sharing that. And as you were talking, one of the, one of the points of connection that really resonated with me was, well, you know, you began earlier on in, in, in the talk about talking about not just your Asian American, um, you know, experience, but also your interest in the Holy Spirit. And the idea of connecting Asian American interpretation with, uh, with the churches on the ground, I think opens up a lot of space to allow the spirit to be a driver of some of the questions that are, are, sort of shaping the questions that we bring um, as readers and just sort of, you know, when we, when we think about an agenda, I mean, one of, the, one of the probably the richest places to look is, well, what is the spirit doing in the churches? Yeah. What is the spirit doing? Um, and, you know, we might, we might actually see that the church is on the ground, that things are moving in, in unexpected ways or surprising ways. And to be able to to um, connect that um, to the type of uh, questions that we ask, it's no longer sort of guided by um, maybe the standard questions that we've inherited, but um, you know, we're, we're, we're really opening up space um, for, for the real work of what the spirit is doing in the churches and particularly in Asian churches. Yeah, we need a holy disruption. And I think you know, one of the things too is I sometimes at the pulpit as preachers, I'm a preacher and I care about preaching. I think that's really important to, to develop and, um, and raise up preachers in the church. Um, but I think, you know, who we cite, who we refer to, a lot of times we cite certain people to kind of justify our learnedness mm. um, to, to show like, oh, we've read, I'm not going to name certain people, this person, hence we're like legit or this person. So we're not that group. You know, a lot of times we put, it's a position, it's positioning ourselves. But when you, I, I, I ask this of, of white pastors and, um, I, and I ask this of Asian American pastors and any of all leaders, who are you reading and who are you citing? Who is informing your theology and your understanding of scripture? Because who those people are reflect who you think speak for God. And a lot of times they're not people of color. And in Asian American church context, they're from Asian American pastors themselves. They're not Asian American theologians. And it could be because they don't feel like that connects to their context for, you know, or it could be because, and there's a lot of work to be done and work to be written. But I think, I think there's some of that, but I think it also, because I think it also has to do with buying into this idea that that's not legit and that it somehow downgrades the quality of our interpretation and of our preaching and of our teaching and our theology. And I'd like to challenge that. I think that it's important to introduce our, our congregations to women biblical scholars. 
it's important to introduce, introduce our, our, inter, our congregations to non-white or people of color and to decenter uh, whiteness from all the things, from our, um, even our training and our formation. I think that's really important to do. And I think that the spirit does this work and there's a disquieting work of the spirit. This is uncomfortable work, this, this border crossing. And as we do this, it will challenge things from, every, from, the read, from each, each perspective. But I think that we need to demonstrate and model for our congregations that we as interpreters, we as pastors and leaders, we do this too. That we are, being, we are reading people who push back against our assumptions and that we can actually talk about that and just, just uh, uh, show that work that's taking place. I think that's really healthy and it gives me more hope that we're not just buying into a singular kind of universalized perspective. Um, and then everything else is a side note. Thanks so much, Dr. Oak, for being here and joining us. I think something that stood out about your story is um, how you had an example of a female pastor and how um, that was so formative in your experience and how um, grateful I am for you um, just being an example of an Asian American woman who is a scholar and a pastor and how that is really inspiring for so many of us. So thank you so much for that. Um, and then to go along with um, talking about the need for looking at different perspectives um, in biblical scholarship, what are the unique contributions of the Asian American feminist perspective in biblical studies, and how um, can that be helpful for the church? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I just want to say on this, uh, that the Atlanta shootings that occurred really remind us that we, let it, we need to do better in honoring the sacredness and dignity of our women in our churches and communities. And Asian American women um, experience this hypersexualization. And also kind of this, there's a lot of unique issues of Asian American female experience within the church as well, that I think are, that will lead to the question you're asking about. Um, Asian American feminist interpretation. So feminists and womenist theologians do take human experience seriously. I mean, I'll speak more broadly first. And, and, and questions whose experience counts, right, as human experience. And it may, making sure women's experiences count. And faith-seeking understanding, it was of men that was considered and recognized as authoritative, right? And male experience was the universalized experiences. So women's experiences are, are centered and that, you know, th there's intersectionality with those experiences. It's not just gender, um, but it's um, gender and then it's race and it's class and those aspects and more so. And so I think that Asian American feminist theologians are part of a community that seek to articulate a theology that really allows Asian American women to live as, live in their wholeness um, and to have a distinct voice, to uh, honor their experiences, um, to not be passive instruments, but more active instruments in changing the status quo. Mihi Kim Court talks about this in her book. And I think that's helpful. Uh, and, I, and I also think that, you know, I, do, I did a, a piece in um, this book, Minoritized Women Reading Race and Ethnicity, because I, it's, I, I, it's titled, You Have Become Children of Sarah, Reading First Peter, Through the Intersectionality of Asian Immigrant Wives, Patriarchy, and Honorary Whiteness. 
And I, it's an example of how, you know, I found that I was, as I was reading the household codes in first Peter, that some of the approaches to the letter of it was kind of like either, or, as opposed to, it, it felt too binaristic, even from feminist scholars as well, that this text it was not, there was something to the text that I felt like um, that uniquely intersectional experiences of Asian American women uh, could to not, not just broadly, but specifically who are married to white American men, um, how it could offer some insights into the way that first Peter is trying to um, help his female married addressees cautiously negotiate their multiple and um, potentially conflicting commitments as members of like their domestic households and then to the household of God. And so that is showing um, not only my indebtedness to feminist and womanist thought um, at large, but also that Asian American female feminist scholarship has also unique angles and perspectives to bring that can nuance the strategies that are, are happening in the ancient context as well, that our context can help illuminate or inform or complexify the context of the addressees in First Peter and particularly the women um, in, in that exhortation and that household code. So I won't go into the whole argument there, but I think that feminist hermeneutics is something that there is still minoritized and women of color within this too find that they are wanting to have like more collect uh, a more critical mass to acknowledge the ways in which they are coming, not only entering dialogue about ethnicity in the ancient context, but doing so from a locatedness that can help illuminate aspects that might be overlooked from the conversation. But I will say this too, there is a lot of misogyny that goes unaddressed in the immigrant church context and Asian American church context that feminist uh, approaches and feminist interpretation attempts to name and to address. Um, in, and I think that that's really important to do because uh, so many times it's, I, I'm, I'm encouraging, I encourage Asian American biblical interpretation at large, but we also have to acknowledge that within that there are people whose voices are not as affirmed or not as recognized as is significant. Um, and in our, and, and I think that um, this is not actually talked about very much in the church because it's very touchy. Um, but I hope that feminists, womanists, intersectional are not bad words. It's, it's lenses. It's a prism to, to better understand and to consider other aspects of the text that we tend to overlook or not consider. Um, and I think that I hope to take away the taboo, not in the scholar, not in the academy, but in the church context. It is not a bad word. <laughs> and it's actually really helpful, not just for women, but for our brothers and sisters alike in the church. Jeanette, as we think about this question of evangelical identity, um, I know that you've uh, recently done some work on this question about um, the Asian American perspective and um, how it can engage evangelical identity. Um, there's been a long sort of history, um, particularly with Asian, Asian American churches um, and evangelical church. And especially at this time, where evangelical identity is going through some somewhat somewhat of a crisis of identity, um, especially through what we've seen with the term evangelical and its connections with the Trump administration and sort of the whole circus that's ensued. Um, do you have any thoughts about what 
the Asian American perspective um, can can lend to the question of evangelical identity? Yeah, oh, God, that's such a huge question, and I think I think too much, too often, there's this, this these bifurcations that are quite false about what is, um, a, and it often goes around scripture or the Bible. And so when questions are asked of, of the Bible and we're asked, we're trying to read from a certain perspective or lens or hermeneutic, it tends to then devalue the, the uh, Bible as scripture. That tends to be the way it's conveyed or constructed. And I think that's a false portrayal, a false representation of what biblical interpretation is. And so first, I think, um, when trying to understand evangelical, evangelical biblical hermeneutics, attention has to be given to race and ethnicity. Otherwise, what are we assuming? White normativity in our biblical interpretation and a specific kind that we have learned has often been conflated with, 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 with nationalism and conflated with um, a, a certain like, uh, yeah, a, a po social political voting block. Um, and so it, if, it can't be assumed that evangelical comports with whites and Asian Americans in the same way or other groups that who, uh, who align or consider themselves maybe with not, not ease, but with the idea of being evangelical or that term. So I think that is something that race and ethnicity have to be considered. Attention has to be given to that um, when trying to talk about evangelical biblical interpretation. Two. I think that the model minority myth has, you know, I, we talk, I've been talking about this. People have been talking about this for years. It feels like a resounding gong and yet it comes up again and again. Uh, and if, and, and the model minority, the Asian Americans as a model minority is often embedded in this idea of, of evangelicalism, white evangelicalism and the role of Asian Americans within that. And I think that, uh, we, we see that the perpetual foreigner stereotype also is rearing its ugly head right now with the rise of anti-Asian um, violence and how a lot of the times the, the, the churches in which Asian Americans belong aren't addressing that. And then what, what does that mean then? Like, can we divorce this, this self and these communities from the larger landscape, landscape of what's happening? Does the church have anything to say to that? So there's that discontent and um, alienation that's a, that I think is occurring and taking place. I think what, what, can, what was really gonna be helpful is that seeing uh, Asian Americans now as, I, as, as unwilling to be like that proxy, the good minority, the minority that will um, show up and be on your posters, and be on your praise teams and come to your conferences, yeah? And then, uh, but yet not have a voice or be able to push back and challenge some of the racist uh, assumptions and, and even assertions that are made in, the, in these con some of these contexts. And I hope that that will be an act of love and an act of unity, not as an act of rebellion or something like that. I think that that's important to do. I think that this whole idea of there's a disillusionment that I think can create a good space for a good critical re reflection on some of the brokenness within Asian American evangelical um, expressions and some of the strengths. And to do that hard work of not just dissing on, but also what are we, what can we, uh, what do we offer? Uh, what, what things that we contribute 
in terms of leadership, in terms of communal belongingness, um, in terms of hospitality that are so crucial for constructing healthier leadership models. And also ways in which we can be better and more intentional about raising up women in leadership. I think that's something that has to be done. We can't just be a bunch of Asian American white guys being leaders while our women are like still having no place in that. So I think to answer your question, it's a very big question. I feel like I'm kind of doing a crazy job here. Affirming that we are no longer going to play that role of the model minority in the evangelical church. One, to, to resist and, and push back against language that, that these microaggressions that reify, reaffirm that Asian Americans are foreigners. You know, that's just, it's so strange that, 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 that this is not at all uh, a problem in the church. And if we are foreigners in the church, then maybe that's not a space for our thriving. You know, I mean, it's honestly, it, it, that's something to consider. I'm not against multi-ethnic congregations. I think that there is an important space for that, but I'm also not quick to discount having pan-ethnic and ethnic congregations as well. And I've always pushed back from a young age on too quickly um, going, taking, uh, uh, diversifying Asian American churches. Um, and I know that sounds totally terrible, like it sounds wrong from a PC perspective, but I think that there still needs to be a lot of um, self-discovery. We have to know our histories. We have to identify our pains and our promises. <laughs> we have to, the potentialities. I think we have to kind of push back against this whole like individualistic culture that has not worked for us because we have a lot of intergenerational dynamics that have, no matter what you say, are part of the discernment process of being faithful. Um, and I think that those are things that can be highlighted and things that can be addressed. And so with the pandemic, for example, wearing masks in the church, not a problem. Why is that? I, I honestly, what's, why was that not a problem in Asian American churches? I think it has to do with a different idea of collectivism and the common good. Of course, I'm going to, if it, it might impact the health of the whole church or the most vulnerable or more vulnerable members, no problem. I can give up some of those liberties. But I don't understand. It's, what's interesting is why this was so much easier in these contexts. I don't want to overgeneralize than in others. And this is something I think that has to do with also recognizing that there are different um, strengths and perspectives that are often, we, we just never thought were valuable. And now we see it actually has a social impact and that we can understand it uh, and appreciate it and think about it theologically as well. Yeah, no, I think you answered the question perfectly. I, I, you know, I think what, what really emerges is kind of blowing up some of the assumptions that go with these associations. So if we, if we associate Asian American churches with evangelicalism, there are, there's these sort of unspoken scripts that get sort of tucked in all of this. So we bring in the, the model minority and we bring in sort of this default, again, this default way of church um, in America seen as sort of basically white church. And so Asian Americans as evangelicals, that's like, yeah, they're one of us. Like it's sort of, they'll, they'll stay down. They'll sort of, you know, keep sort of this status quo that, that essentially reifies power. It, it reifies a certain way 
that the world currently operates. And um, so being able to expose that, I think, is important for Asian American churches to basically understand that they also have, they have a distinct voice um, and that there's not something normatively evangelical about giving space to that voice and, and, and allowing that to be explored and to be preached and to be, um, you know, to be given an audience. So, I mean, I really appreciate your thoughts there. And I really, you know, hope to encourage non-Asian Americans to come into spaces where they are not the headliner, but they just come to sit and learn, you know, like I'm happy. I do this all the time. I go into uh, a spaces where I'm not necessarily speaking into, but I'm there to learn and to participate and to, uh, to hear and engage and to be expanded. But too often, I don't see white evangelical leaders doing that in spaces that they're not in charge or they're not mm-hmm. guest speaking yeah. or a panelist. And it really bothers me because it, it, it's, again, um, bring us in to fill in the seats, but you're not willing to take a seat and learn and to, to show solidarity and to support. And I think our brothers, and I'm now speaking more in, a, in the con- church context, but need to do better job at affirming women scholars and preachers and teachers in their own citations and their own references and their own um, conversation partners. Because we too, like we, you know, otherwise so many women who want to be ordained, so many Asian American women who want to be ordained, they don't find a home in the even Asian American church space. They have to go elsewhere. And it's not necessarily because they want to. And what's up with that? We got to do something about that. <laughs> I mean, that's a loss. That's a gain. I mean, the church is grow, grows and it, and it has, we, we cross borders and boundaries to be sure, but that's not simply about that. It's not just about diversity in other contexts. It is, it, there is a lack of space and investment and training and affirmation for women to develop their vocation as pastors, as leaders, as people who are committed to serving the church for the long haul and full time. I think that's something. I hope to do better in as we make more space for ourselves within the church at large and, and, ex- and expand what it means to be the American church, but also within uh, the Asian American church context to make space for women, to make space for non-East Asian um, voices and leadership as well. And uh, hopefully that's a move that we'll be making. Dr. Oak, this was so rich and powerful. Thank you so much for for joining us and, and, and sharing with us. It was a pleasure. It was so great to be with y'all. <laughs>